So good to be with you guys this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14. And Anthony did such a great job here giving us the context of what's going on. If you don't know, we're, we're kind of backtracking from the season, right? Um, so we've already, we've already uh, remembered Good Friday together last week. We've already celebrated the resurrection last Sunday. But now what we're doing is we're, we're just trying to faithfully go through the book of Luke. And so what, what we're doing is we're going to go back now and find ourselves in chapter 14. And what Jesus is doing here, the Bible says that Jesus is going through the towns and the cities and he's making his way toward Jerusalem. He's making his way toward Jerusalem. Why? So that he will be crucified on the Good Friday, and then he'll be resurrected three days later on Sunday. And he's making his way. And as he's going through the towns and villages and byways and highways and meeting with all these people, he is preaching the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. And so what we find here, again, the Pharisees, they, they don't particularly care for Jesus that much because he is messing up their rules. He is like just throw, turning everything upside down for them. And they're just can't compute. They're like, it's like an equation that's going in their head and it's, just, it's like their, their ears are smoking and they can't figure it out. So what do they do? They think, we hate this guy. He's messing up our religious ways. He's disrupting the system. Let's invite him over to our house. Let's have, let's call it a, a banquet. We'll recline at table together. And oh, by the way, let's just bring somebody who happens to have some medical conditions because we've heard that he likes to heal people. Wherever he goes, people are set free. And, and let's do it on a Sabbath. And let's just see if we can catch him in the act, right? And so they bring Jesus in. They invite him. Jesus graciously goes to their dinner party. And then he sees a man with what Luke tells us is it's called dropsy. And if you don't know what dropsy is, that would be edema, where his body is filling up with fluids. And it's almost as if his body is drowning. He's drowning in his own fluids here. And Jesus sees him. And Jesus has compassion on this man. And what does Jesus do? Jesus heals him. And immediately he's set free from his condition. And then the Pharisees get all upset. And Jesus knows their hearts and their minds. And he calls them out. And he rebukes them. And it's so awkward. Because now we've invited this guy at our party, and he's a, the guest of honor, and we're kind of, and we didn't, we didn't get the result that we wanted, and now we're all feeling awkward. So what does Jesus do? He stays. <laughs> if it was you, if it was me, we'd probably be like, "Mic drop! I'm done with the awkwardness. I did my part. I'm out of here." And Jesus, in his audacity, stays at the dinner party. So let's read the rest of the portion, starting in verses seven. Through 11, I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles here uh, at our communion and giving areas. We have Bibles in the back. Please take a Bible. Those are free. If you do not have a Bible, those are for you this morning, okay? For the rest of us this morning, if you have an app or your physical Bibles, let's look at Luke chapter 14, verse 7. It says this. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin to, uh, then you will, 
begin with shame to take the lowest place. Verse 10, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. Verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the living word. Jesus, thank you for your examples to us. Jesus, thank you that you were not only an example in perfection, but you were an example in humility. And we, we just want to be subject to that truth. I pray for our hearts this morning where the reality is that we, are, we wrestle with pride. All of us wrestle with pride. And God, I, I ask Holy Spirit that you'd help us this morning. Help us to see ourselves rightly for who we are and help us to see ourselves rightly for who we are in the light of your holiness and your majesty your perfection, God. And so we come to your scriptures this morning with humility in our hearts, coming saying, we need to learn from you. Teach us your ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. All right. So let's just set the, 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 the picture here. You ever been at a wedding? Marianne and I did wedding photography for over 10 years. And we were at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of weddings. And if you've ever been to a wedding, you know that up at the front, what's that reserved for? That's reserved for the family, right? That's reserved for the, 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 the most honorable members of the family. So if we were going to host a wedding here, there would be a center aisle so the bride could come down. But before the bride comes down, I, I love this tradition that grandmas and grandpas and, and, you know, mom and dad and uncle, and usually mom and dad because they paid for the wedding, so they get the best seat, right? Um, but if you could imagine this scenario, somebody just walks in and be like, yeah, I got a plus one and, and I brought my so-and-so with me and like, yeah, what's up everybody? And just comes and just takes a seat right in the front and somebody would come up to them and go, excuse me, this is Nana's seat, Right? <laughs> And then this person's like, oh, shoot, my bad. And all of us would be looking at Jeff, being like, hmm. And as Jeff walks with his tail between his legs, he would walk toward the back of the room, and we'd be all like, yeah, that's right, buddy. Who do you think you are? And Jesus is giving this, this picture because this is what the Pharisees are doing here. They all are thinking so highly of themselves. They're probably arguing about what, the, what Scripture says, what the Torah says, and who knows more about this, and let's bring this so-called Messiah in and see if he knows anything. We could probably out-argue this guy. And by the way, I probably know the most, so I should be at the best seat at table here. And what Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't, when you... When you're a guest, when you've been invited, don't just assume somehow that you know everything, everybody's here to honor you. No, actually, take just a, a humble seat in the back. It's better, actually, for someone to recognize and go, Jonathan, Jonathan, man, what are you doing back there, bro? This is family. 
This family, Jonathan, you, you don't have to be way back in the humble seat. It's better for the, the guest or, or the, the person hosting, go back and get Jonathan and say, Jonathan, what, are you, what were you thinking, man? You know this seat's got your name on it. Come on, come up here. And then he's honored in front of everybody, not because he assumed that he just would take this place. And Jesus here is telling the Pharisees, guys, quit thinking so highly of yourself. And it's not that Jesus is trying to help them and say, okay, I'm trying to help you avoid awkward situations. See, what Jesus is dealing with here, it's the same thing that Scripture wants to do in us this morning, myself, a times a thousand included, is to say, examine your heart. Allow Scripture to be a mirror, right? Anthony was helping He says, what's, this, what's the proud dude do? What he does is he's looking outward. The proud dude is looking at everybody else's faults. The proud dude is always like, how can I fix this? Because I am God's gift to everybody else. And the humble dude, what he does is he picks up the mirror, which is scripture, and he looks in the mirror and goes, holy cow, I have a bunch of whiteheads on my nose. I got eye boogies. I got hairs that are way out of, you know. And then he deals with it because this shows the humble dude what's going on. You know, there's, there's like a new heresy in the church lately. I don't know if you picked up on it. If you're involved in social media at all, you probably have seen this. If you follow any of like the really cool preachers, I don't know if you've ever seen them, like there's this uh, Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But what they do is they take the coolest, biggest name preachers, and what they do is they evaluate their clothes. God help us, right? And then what they do is they look at their clothes and they go, so-and-so's wearing Air Jordans, and it's not just any Air Jordan, it's this Air Jordan that you can, they only made five of, and so-and-so, because he knows so-and-so got it, and he's wearing this Armani belt, it's valued at $1,500, and he's wearing this feel a t-shirt. I don't know. It just goes on and on and on. And I just lost my train of thought. I don't know what I was saying about that. Oh, heresy in the church. Thanks, Mike. And you know what I found with a lot of these really cool um, influencers, right? That's the word. Influencers kind of pastors. Is the message is kind of shifted from the old heresy of the prosperity gospel, which is Give your life to Jesus, and Jesus will make your life better and rich, and you'll get all your best wishes, and all your dreams will come true. It has shifted because, actually, I think Satan has over-dealt his hand with that. The church is starting to smell it and go, that just smells funky. And now it's starting to shift in, guess what, church? You have a God-given potential living inside of you. You have this vacuum, and God put it there on purpose so that we are here to lift up your God-given purpose. We are here. You're supposed to surround yourself with people who will recognize this gift in you. And the idea is somehow that if there's people around you, if there's people, this is a good time to science your cell phones, by the way. If there's people around you who are bringing you down, who are, yes, Lord? That's right, guys. Love you guys so much. 
just don't like your cell phone at all. <laughs> if there's people around you who are bringing you down, you know what? Ditch them. Get rid of them. Why? Because they're just bringing down that, that gifting that God has placed inside of you. And somehow we are tempted to believe, yeah, that's true. Somehow that this, this heresy is creeping into the church that you are more special than the person you're sitting next to. You have more value than the person sitting next to you. After all, you do this, this, and this, and so therefore, God has placed you in a special seat somehow, and you've got to let that flame grow and grow and grow. So here's, there's a common, or there's a popular author right now. I just want to... Uh, read you some of these quotes. You may know, I'm actually going to say this person's name, okay? And if you don't like that, you can... My wife doesn't like this. I'm going to read the quote, and I'm going to put the author up there. <laughs> My job, as your pastor, is to protect you. My job is to point out heresy in the church. My job, I'm not saying this to bring people down, I'm saying this because I know that this, this author is very popular in the church right now. And there may be people here who have read this and maybe the enemy has duped you into believing that this is true. That's what heresy does, friends. It doesn't say, God is Satan, God is evil. It does it in very manipulative and secretive ways. So where we just think, that sounds good and fun, but it leads us astray. So please hear my heart. I'm not, I'm not saying this person's name because I want to, you know, beat them down. or I'm trying to help us and protect us as a congregation. So this is what this author says. The real you is destined for something more. Your version of more. Your version of more. This is who you were made to be. And the first step to making that vision a reality is to stop apologizing for having the dream in the first place. L like Lady Gaga says, baby, you were born this way. It's time to become who you were made to be. Now, it doesn't end there. Let's keep going. When asked about... Being a mom and parenting her children, this is what she said. Is your schedule populated by things that will make your life better or is it or dictated by everyone, everybody else's wants and needs? Being occasionally inconvenienced is a part of life. And if you're willing to serve others, then you better be willing to demand that they do it for you. This is the best-selling author Yes, Rachel Hollis. Some of you are like, I don't know who that is, and I would say, good job, great, I'm glad you don't. This is the problem in every marriage. This is the problem in every friendship. This is the problem, problem in every relationship we have on the planet is that somehow I believe that Marianne exists to serve me. I believe somehow that my kids exist to serve me. You ever hear a dad say, 
That's why you have kids, so they can get up and turn the TV channel for you. That's why you have kids, so they can like take out the trash, so you don't have to do it. I've said it sometimes myself to my kids, joking around with them. Most of the time I'm joking about that. <laughs> this is the single, this is the reason why Marianne and I fight. is because I think I'm much better than her, and she thinks she's much better than me. And we're going to duke it out until one of us proves the other person wrong. And this heresy of pride is so rampant in the church that we even say things like, I will only do unless this person does. Right? This person doesn't fit into benefiting my goals in life. This person doesn't fit fit into benefiting my dreams. This person doesn't fit into adding to what the God-given glory that's living inside of me. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to ignore them or push them out of my life because actually this person is a hindrance to me. Thank God that Jesus didn't do that to us. See, what Jesus did is he said, in spite of you bringing me down, in spite of you disciples always getting it wrong, every, your track record, well done guys, it's 100%. You're 100% wrong all of the time. If I was Jesus with these 12 guys that I'm going towards to about to surrender my life, I'd say, Father, can you give me a better 12. And in spite of us not living up to the calling, let's use that word then, that God has placed in us, Jesus tarries. Jesus gives of himself to you and me. Every single whenever we're doing marriage counseling we always say you know what the reason why you exist the reason why your marriage exists is so that you can serve the other person my husbandness is in existence so that Marianne will be served Marianne's wifeness, I know those aren't words, okay, exists so that she will serve me. And we're supposed to mutually do this toward one another no matter if the other person reciprocates or not. But what if I'm doing all the work in this relationship? But what if it's always me serving? It's always me doing the dishes. It's always me taking the dog out. It's always me paying the bills. It's always me making dinner. It's always me doing this. They don't do anything. Surely I deserve something more. You know what says I deserve? Pride. You guys doing okay? All right now. I am not talking about abuse. I'm not saying abuse is okay. I'm not saying we should take advantage of other people. That's, I never said that, okay? But what I am saying is if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you exist to serve, not to be served. How often is that preached? 
with preachers and sneakers. Not very often. Oh. Here's, here's where this idea of pride comes from. Look at Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. It's the speaking of Satan. And it says, you can put Satan's name in here. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You guys notice the, the word that keeps coming in here? I, 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 I. I, 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 I. It's a good one, Tom. And the problem is that we somehow think that pride is honorable. We somehow, you know, it's all, if, if, you, if you're a study of, studier of history, uh, psychology, there's a guy named Abraham Maslow. You've ever, I don't know if you've heard his name. And he's created this psychological triangle. And it's called the hierarchy of needs. And what he puts at the bottom here is our basic needs, which is like food and shelter and water. And then he keeps going up, it's like friendship. And then, and then there's some emotional things here like peace. And, like, and then what does he put at the top? Self-actualization. This rap has somehow seeped into the church. You just need to know your, your God-given call, your self-actualization, and put people around you who will self-actualize with you. What a bunch of satanic pride. I say satanic because Satan, that's what his, he was all about, self actualization and Jesus comes to his dinner party and he says you guys are all trying to self-actualize you're all trying to show how your, your greatness can be shown to others stop it he says pride is the root of all sin friends here's what pride is Marianne and I were in the car yesterday and I said Okay, let's talk about pride. How would, how would you define pride? And she comes up with this really brilliant definition about not understanding ourselves in the light of who God is. I think that's, I'm paraphrasing what you said. And I, re I read a book this week on humility, and I thought, okay, how does this person define pride? And I thought, man, a little bit better than Marianne's definition, all right? So, no, was, yours was good, babe. Yours was really good. Uh, but this one, I just was like, okay, this is so good. And he says this, Pride is contending for supremacy with God. Pride is contending for supremacy with God. Where does pride start? We see it with the fall. We see it, right? Satan comes to Adam and Eve and he tells Eve, listen, you know what? God just doesn't want you to eat of this tree because he knows that if you do it, you're going to be just like him. And he doesn't want you to be just like him. He actually want to keep, keeps you down. He's actually keeping you down. What you need to do, Eve, is self-actualize. And the only way you can do that, Eve, is if you eat of this tree. 
And what does she do? That sounds like a good plan. I want to be like God. I want to know all the things God knows. Like, I, I deserve it. I mean, after all, I have a good relationship with God. It feels like he's keeping something from me. Yeah, you're right, serpent. I'm going to eat of this fruit. And all of a sudden, sin enters the world. And you and I are here this morning trying hard to take the pounds off of our body. Okay, you didn't get that. Sin is, okay, never mind. You got it? All right, just wasn't that good. So what we're doing is we're contending with the place of God. We're saying, I actually deserve to know and believe and do and have all the privileges that God has. When God tells me to do something, I will be the arbiter of whether I think I should do that or not. When God says, I don't want you to do this, you think that doesn't feel right. Actually, I am going to continue to do that because it gives me pleasure and it gives me joy. And I find my identity in this thing. God, surely you cannot mean that. You might mean do it less. Or you might mean do this more. But surely you're not saying totally surrender this area of my life. I will decide what you say and how much I will apply it to my life. That's what pride does. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 25 says this. If anyone would come after me, Jesus speaking, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. See, our pride somehow tells us, hey, give in to the self-actualization. And Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, die. Anybody want to be a Christian? Anybody want to like say, that doesn't sound like what I've heard on social media. It says, if I come to Jesus, he's going to make my life all better. He's going to make everything amazing. It's going to be Tootsie Pops from heaven. Jesus says, actually, if you want to find real life, the only way you can do that is to surrender it. There's none of the self-actualization junk. Jesus is the greatest good. Jesus is the greatest meaning. Jesus is the greatest purpose. Jesus is the greatest adventure. Jesus is the most worth sacrificial thing that we can ever do because we get so much more in return. We get a life that is full of meaning, a life that is full of purpose, a life that is secure in salvation that cannot be taken from us no matter what we do, no matter what the enemy does, and no matter what the world does against us, it can't be taken from us. Why wouldn't we give ourselves over to the greatest thing? All it requires is that we say, Jesus, I give it all to you. I get it, friends. I get it. This is like really hard. Because this is, there's nobody in this room who doesn't wrestle with pride. Says the man sitting under lights, right? There's nobody in this room who doesn't have moments every day where we go, Nope, I want that because this benefits me. Nope, I want that because it's going to make me better. Nope, I, no. We all wrestle with it. I get it. 
And as disciples of Jesus, we have to be asking the question all the time. Here it is, friends. Who is God and who am I? Who is God and who am I? When I'm tempted to not pay my taxes, who is God and who am I? When I'm tempted to look at that thing, whatever it is, who is God, who am I? When I'm tempted to not give what God's told me to give, who is God and who am I? And if we have a right view of that, we're going to make the right decisions. Amen? All right, let's do a little, let's do a little break here because I know we're running out of time. Let's do a little pride test, all right? I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. And what I want you to do is for everyone that you say yes to, you're going to just get one point, okay? You guys ready for this? Come on, come on, all right? Here we go. Pride test. Number one, do you like attention? I think it's up there somewhere. Okay, it'll be up there in a second. Number one is, you could just ask yourself, do you like attention? Does it feel good when somebody gives you attention? Heck yeah, it does. I I like when I get attention. Why? Because it makes me feel good. There it is. Oh, no, now it's gone. <laughs> Just kidding with you. So, but number one is, do you like attention? So if you, all right, now you're jumping ahead here a second. If, there you go. Okay, if you like attention, give yourself a score of one, all right? Now number two, now you can do number two. Number two is, are you a people pleaser? Let me just unpack, let's double click on that for a second. Most of us would say, oh, pride, pride means we're always trying to do things for ourselves all the time. Not necessarily. See, in people-pleasing, the root of that actually is pride. Why? Because you want to be liked. You don't want to come across as a certain way. You don't want to be the person who's pushy. You don't want people to think of you in a certain way. And so you just want to run around and please everyone because you want to be liked. Because your pride cannot handle if someone were to think of you. Can you believe I asked that person to do something and they said no? Are you a people pleaser? Just give yourself just, just one point if you're a people pleaser. Number three, do you welcome confrontation? <laughs> Are you the kind of person who's like, bring it on. Let's duke it out. I'd rather take a straight-up confrontation than trying to, like, you know, just tippy-toe around. Let's do this. You welcome it. All right, number four, though, is do you avoid confrontation? You notice what I'm doing here, right? Are you the kind of person that doesn't want to talk about it because you're going to feel awkward because you're not humble enough to come to a situation that you actually have to have confrontation? I hate confrontation. I hate it. Some people think I like it. That's just my job sometimes. The only time I've ever had confrontation with you is not because I like it. It's because God told me you've got to talk about this stuff. But I hate it. It eats me up inside because of my pride. Honestly, I just am like, Lord, can we just pretend this didn't happen? And God's like, no. I placed you here to lead. And so there might be some awkward confrontation sometimes. So not only do you, do you like to avoid confrontation, but number five is, is it hard to apologize without making excuses? Ugh. 
You might be like, no, I apologize all the time. Well, do you say like, hey, I'm really sorry, but you know, I only did this because I was really hungry. And when I get really hungry, I get hangry. And when I get hangry, I get a little mean, right? Or I'm really, I'm really sorry, but you know, if you wouldn't have said this, then I wouldn't have said this. That's not an apology. That's a, like deflection. Well, if you weren't so terrible, I wouldn't have been not as terrible as you. <laughs> That's pride. Marianne and I do this. Well, if you wouldn't have said this, and I wouldn't. Well, if you would have done this, and I would. What a bunch of ninnies we are. All right. Number six, are you ever, ever impatient? Ever. You're driving on the freeway, you see the long line to get off the, and what do you do? You see a gap, zoom, and just cut everybody off. Why? Because you're superior to everybody else. These morons don't know how to drive, and so they probably won't even notice that you cut them off because they're so stupid. You could tell this is in my heart. And after all, I am more important and I've got more important places to be because if they had to be somewhere that was really important, they'd be really driving competently. But they don't know how to drive, so they deserve me getting in there. Number seven, do you ever get angry? Ever. You know what anger is? It's a reaction to not getting your way. Your boss does something, your kids do something, your spouse does something, your friend does something, the church does something. Why are you angry? Because Jesus wasn't glorified enough? No. <laughs> Baloney. Because you didn't get your way. Number eight, do people know your opinion on everything? Trust me, I ask myself about myself when I ask these questions. But are people going to go, well, don't even ask Kelly because I already know what he's going to say. He's, he's like, blah, blah, blah. he's got an opinion. He has to let everybody know his opinion. By the way, this is what I think. Nobody asked you. Number nine, are you ever late? Ugh. You know what, late, when you arrive late, and especially people who are habitually late, you know what they're saying? I'm the most important person. Everyone can wait for me. I know I said and made a commitment I will be here at this time. It doesn't matter because I'm more important than everyone else. You guys are right? <laughs> That's what we're saying when we're late. Number nine, or ten, are you ever critical or are you ever offended? As if somehow we think that we hold so much value and truth in ourselves that we've been given this great gift to be able to point out everyone else's faults. And whether we do it on social media or send the pastor an email or a text just to let them know how stupid they are or how... how they weren't doing this right, or you just need to let them know because you're very concerned. Wow. Or if you're offended, I cannot, I cannot believe they did this. 
The audacity. As if the value inside of you is so high that it's higher than anybody else's and that you should feel this deep offense inside your soul. You're prideful. Now, here's, ask yourself, if you've scored anywhere from 1 to 10, you're prideful. If you scored a 0, you're super prideful. All right? So what happens to those who are proud? Anthony helped us with that this morning. There's a few silly things I hate. I hate onions. I hate them. I don't know why anyone would want to eat something that smells like an armpit. It just it makes no sense. I, I hate any teams in New England. I hate them. It's just wrong. There's some silly things I hate, right? But there's some serious things. I, I hate abortion. I hate abortion. I hate, I hate a culture that calls things good that are evil. I hate that. Like, we're feeling that right now, aren't we? I hate religion because of what it does is it tries to dupe you and tell you, like, you can earn your way to pleasing God somehow, right? I hate that stuff. You know what the Bible says that God hates? I'm sure God hates abortion. I'm sure that God hates um, calling things good that are evil. I'm sure God hates religion because you see how Jesus reacts to all of these things. But one thing that Scripture objectively is very clear that God hates, and it's pride. (laughs) The problem is that all of us in this room struggle with pride. But let's look at it. Let's look at how God hates pride. It says this, and I'm just going to go through these quick because I'm already over time. But Proverbs 8.13 says, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate, God is saying. Jeremiah 50, 31. Behold, I am against you, O proud one, declares the Lord God of hosts, for your day has come, the time when I will punish you. 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Opposes us when we're proud. Anybody here want the creator of the universe to actively oppose you? Let's keep going. Isaiah 2.12. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. And Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Friends, our calling is to be humble. As a disciple of Jesus, we look at the room, we walk in, we've been invited, we gather together, even on a Sunday morning and what do we do? We look at each other and we go, Not how am I better than this person. Not I bet you had a better week than that person morally. Not like, hmm, they seem like, mm -hmm." mm-hmm. No, we walk into a room and what we do is we're supposed to say, how can I honor so-and-so? How can I serve so-and-so? How can I love this community? How can I give of this into this community even if 
I don't get anything in return. Why? Because Jesus did that for me. Pride comes before the fall. Let's end with this. How do we take action against pride? That is, we have to ask that question. This is what Jesus says in the rest of Luke chapter 14. Let's turn there. Verses 12 through 14. He says this. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus is saying, listen, I would say this to us Southlands Chino. Don't do something and do it so that you can get something in return. Do something even if you're not going to get anything in return. That's a great way to kill pride in your heart. Right? We often think, if I do this, hmm, that might set me up to get this. This person works at Disneyland. Disneyland's reopening. I'm going to just text them and go, hey, it's been a while. How you doing, man? Checking in. Praying for you, bro. Hopefully, they'll reply like, thanks so much. Yeah, I need prayer. And then I'll be like, oh, by the way, I know you get free tickets. Y'all know we do stuff like that. If I just kind of get in good with this, he's got box seats at Staples Center. If I do this, I, this guy knows a guy who knows how to fix everything, and the guy who knows how to fix everything is super cheap, and I, I don't feel like, so I'm going to kind of like invite him over to my house for drinks, and let's have coffee, and like, what a bunch of junk. See, Jesus says if you want to deal with pride, Give yourself to those who got nothing to give you back. Nothing to repay you with. All you're doing is giving. Guess when you'll be blessed? Guess when you'll be blessed? Don't worry about it. Jesus is going to take care of all this on the day of the resurrection. Guess what? It's going to be way better than you getting this measly little Disneyland tickets. It's going to be better. So, number one, give to those who can't give to you. Number two, I would say... Invite correction in your life and take it on the chin. Invite correction into your life. Do you have anybody in your life who can speak truth and love to you? See, pride, what it does is it holds that like this around everybody. And then when somebody comes up to you and says, Hey man, hey, hey sister, I just noticed when you're, you're treating your husband this way, man, that just doesn't bring glory to God and, 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 it's, you know, and, and then we're like, who asked you? And we should be like, thank you so much for pointing this out and leading me towards holiness. As iron sharpens iron. And then, I mean, even if sometimes people are wrong, I've had mentors and leaders say stuff to me that they were totally way off. But what we have to do is go, okay, Lord, was there any truth in what they said? Any truth. And I'll eat the meat and spit out the bones. 
God will do a lot of work in you if you're able to do that. Even if somebody's wrong and says, man, I saw this, I think this is, you need to watch out here. And you go, thank you so much for, you know, speaking truth and love to me, that you love me enough that we're in this partnership or relationship together. So have somebody who speaks correction into your life and then take it on the chin. And then I would end with this. Know what true greatness is. Come in full circle back to this idea of somehow there is greatness just waiting to come out in me. I just need to surround myself with all of the other great people Well, let's look at what happened when people thought this way in Scripture. Look at Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 35. It says, Then they, speaking of Jesus and the disciples, came to Capernaum. While Jesus was at home, he asked the disciples, Hey, uh, what were you arguing about on the road? Because they're walking and he hears them like, I don't know, I don't know. Verse 34, But they kept silent because they had argued on the road with one another about who was the greatest. Could could you just, I mean, anyways. Verse 35, he's like, okay. So he sat him down, called the 12, and told them, listen, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. You want to know, you say, yeah, but I feel like God's put this like greatness in me. You know what? He has put greatness in you. He has put greatness in you. You know what that greatness is? To serve. If you're a disciple of Jesus, he has put in you greatness to be the servant of all. He doesn't say, I put in you so you can shine. You could self-actualize. Oh, it's going to be like the phoenix. You could just see it now. It'll rise from the ashes. It'll rise up. Right? <laughs> you raise me up. All Josh Groban nonsense. Jesus said, yeah. I've poured greatness in you. The ability to keep serving. And then when you're super tired and you're worn out, I poured greatness in you to keep serving. And then when people really take advantage of you all the time and never say thank you and never repay you, guess what? I've poured greatness in you to keep serving. And when that person speaks ill of you and you're, you're tempted to want to take your toys and go home and like, I hate this church because all, all I ever do is give, 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 and give. And Jesus says, I put greatness in you. Why? So that you can keep giving and giving and giving and giving. But Jesus, it's hard. And he goes, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Guess what? I died for that. I died for you because there were so many times when you just wouldn't reciprocate. There were so many times where I'd say, follow me, and you were like, screw you, Jesus. There were so many times where I said, come lay your life down, follow me, you're going to find fullness of life if you surrender your life, and you were like, no way, I'm doing my own thing, and he did it so much, he served us so much, he was so great that he went to the cross, and he died a death that was for the worst of the worst humiliated, naked, 
spat on, whipped, crushed, beard pulled out. Not once did he say, oh, I'm going to get you. He said, Jesus or God, they know not what they do. Friends, can we lower our pride for one another? Can we lower our pride when we want to contend with God for supremacy because Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and me? Because he already did this work, it's been finished, it's done. All we have to do is say yes. That's it. It's so simple, but so hard. Right? Will you stand with me this morning?